everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. I am joined once again by Dr. Sandra Lean. Last week on the show, you heard all about how the prosecution managed to convict Luke Mitchell. I have to tell you, from my perspective, when I heard it, it sounds like a not even just a circumstantial case, but a, a pretty flimsy case. Uh, but it worked, and they were able to obtain their conviction. Uh, so this week, Dr. Lean has joined me again, and this week we're going to talk about the case for innocence. She has dedicated years of her life to studying this case, has gone on and got her PhD in criminology, and she's a paralegal because she feels so strongly about Luke's innocence. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Dr. Lean. How do you know that Luke Mitchell is innocent? I don't. Nobody does. Nobody can say for absolute certainty he's innocent. What I can say is the evidence that was used to convict him in no way meets the, the standard of beyond reasonable doubt. And further, the evidence that was there, available to them at the time, pointed elsewhere and, and clearly pointed to others had they chosen to follow up. At no point was anybody else in this entire case considered a suspect or even a person of interest. Now, we talked about there being no forensic evidence connecting Luke to the murder or vice versa. Mm -hmm. But there's DNA from other males on the body, on the clothing, in the immediate crime scene area. There's forensic evidence, there's saliva, there's semen, there's hairs, there's fibres. To this day, 20 years later, we have no idea where that evidence originated or from whom. So I, I think that's a good place for us to focus today. So I, I think we've done a pretty good job already of, along the way, the prosecution's case with the uh, the shaky witness statements, uh, Adrena being unable to identify Luke, and that was never, and the time completely changing. We, we learned about how the the alibi fell apart and how it didn't really fall apart. Uh, it's you know, not the way people have stated it. But I think that's a good place to focus is the if not Luke, then who? And let's talk about some of these alternate suspects, the ones that are that are based on the forensic evidence, uh, because there's, there's a few of them. So, I'll, well, forensic evidence and also, if I understand right, there was sightings of some other people with Jody that that night uh, that the police didn't 
really consider. So let, let's walk through who are the alternate suspects in this case and, and why should they maybe be considered suspects? The first one that, that was known about publicly was a person who was referred to as Stocky Man. And this was the guy who was seen following Jody down the East House's road just after she left home. Now, what's significant about that sighting is the, the two witnesses who saw this guy, one of them knew Jody. That's the first thing. Secondly, the time was five past five. Now, remember we talked about moving the time of her leaving home back to 4.50 so that this 5.15 time of death could be sort of shoehorned in. Mm-hmm. If that was Jody and it was five past five, then she wasn't murdered at 5.15 right. at that point behind the wall because there's not enough time for her to get from where she was seen to where she was found and everything that happened. That's just a little aside if we're talking about um, other potential suspects. While we're, Real quick, while we're on that aside, I, I keep meaning to ask you, where did the 5.15 time of death come from? Ah, How did they determine that? It was very scientific. <laughs> I, have a, I have my doubts. Let's hear yeah, it. <laughs> they, they brought in an analyst to look at the timelines and establish a window of opportunity in which Luke could be the murderer. So a time where his alibi was potentially weak or he hadn't been seen by anybody else. And from that established window of opportunity, they set the time of death at 5.15. There was no attempt by this analyst to look at windows of opportunity for anybody else known to the case. So, so it's not it's not based on any medical evidence or anything like that. It's it's literally we know it's Luke, so it had to be this time is how they got to it. Essentially, what they did was they worked both forwards and backwards mm-hmm. from, for example, clean sightings of Jody. They dropped the sightings of Stocky Man and Jody in favor of the Andrina Bryson sighting because they could manipulate that earlier. Whereas the other one, they couldn't. They had two independent witnesses corroborating each other. So they dropped them, used the Andrina Bryson sighting to ratchet the time back a little bit to account for Luke being seen in New Battle at the time he was mm-hmm. and leaving just enough time if you squeezed it really tightly for everything that happened to have happened if she died at 5.15. And that's the critical point. There is nothing, there is no medical evidence, scientific scientific evidence, any evidence that she died at 5.15. None. That's a, that's incredible. But okay, now we're off that aside back to, so this, the, the stocky man sighting. So so this this first witness we're talking about sees this man following her and, and this witness knows Jody. Yeah. So, so the police put out calls for anybody that knew who stocky man might be because he was the last person seen in close proximity to Jody. Mm-hmm. That was a crime at the time. Um, there was some confusion because at the reconstruction on the 7th of July, a week after Jody was, was found, one of the witnesses saw a guy that he thought was the stocky man that he'd seen. Mm-hmm. And it was a mistaken identity because the guy that he thought was stocky man was provably not in Scotland on the 30th of June. Okay. 
but the neighbors ran with mystery man identified. Oh, so it looked like he was identified, but also yeah. alibied. Yeah. So, so the real stocky man wasn't identified. Right. The mistaken identity was identified and alibied, but the the newspaper headlines made it look like stocky man himself had been identified, and then they just quietly dropped interest in him. Wow. And so that that sighting was between Jody's house and the entrance to the Ronesdyke path. Correct. Yeah. Okay. At five past five. We we always believed that Stocky Man had never been traced. The real Stocky Man had never been traced or identified. And I found out in 2014, after the SCCRC had done the review of the case, that he was, in fact, identified by one of the witnesses in the weeks after Jody's murder. And that was never released to the defense. Do you guys have over so like it, it, well you just described in the United States we call that a Brady violation it's from a Supreme Court case it, do you have something similar there well I mean th- that right there it could be in most cases would be a new trial here in the US if if that information was withheld from the defense the the disclosure rules over here are very very different so we have in in inve- or back then in investigations like this we had what were called disclosure officers who worked for the police. And the disclosure officer gets to decide whether a given piece of information or evidence might undermine the prosecution case or assist the defence case. And once the disclosure officers made that decision, that same officer then decides whether to disclose or not. Now, if you're a police officer attached to an investigation that's looking for a prosecution, how minded do you think you're going to be to say, oh, this could help the defense, best give it to them? Right. And in this case, we find out years later that there was a man seen following Jody right before she was killed. That person was identified and they deemed that wasn't necessary to turn over to yeah. the defense. And and our review commission decided that didn't materially affect the case at trial. Huh. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Interesting. Scotland. Now you you said there are there was more than was there more than one witness that saw Stocky Man uh, Stocky Man or was there Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the two witnesses who saw Jody also saw Stocky Man. Okay. Both of them. Were they together or those two independent witnesses? No, they were two independent two two completely different people. Um one was coming home from work. I can't remember what the other was doing, but one was coming home from work. Uh, so what? So we heard about the one that saw them at five, at five after five. When and where did the second witness see them? Same time, approximately the same time. Uh, second witness, se- second witness, put it somewhere between five o'clock and maybe five past five. Couldn't be absolutely sure. Okay, so there, you have two independent witnesses, not together, both corroborating the same thing. And nothing was ever done to investigate this person that they identified. No, nothing. Uh, what else do we have? I, I know there's. Um, I know there was the 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 moped boys. The moped boys, yeah. They're they're now remember five fifteen time of death is not verified by anything, right? But their moped was seen at the V break in the wall without them. They were identified coming through a local tool hire business at closing time, which was five o'clock. They were also seen coming through the business and up the main New Battle Road 
at about five past five by a couple who were driving in a car and saw them pushing the bike. So the timing of that is pretty set. They then turned into the path and this bike kept cutting out and yeah, it, it was a piece of trash really. Uh-huh. Um, so they kept on to start it and push it and get it going again that would cut out again. And at 5.15, they they got as far as, as the V-brake and then a, a witness saw the moped, but not them. And when they were asked where they were, now what you have to remember here is if you continue up Roansdyke Path and then take a right along Lady Path, which joins Roansdyke at right angles at the top, Lady Path takes you to the back garden of one of the boys on the moped without ever emerging onto a road or a street or other houses or anything. It just takes you straight to, to the back garden. Okay. You would have thought, having had over a year to think about it, they would have said something like, oh, it ran out of fuel. We had to go back to the house to get some some fuel or we went to get some tools to fix it. Or No, on the stand, couldn't remember, couldn't remember, couldn't remember. No idea where they were when the moped was at the V. But this is at the time where Jody is supposedly being killed on the other side of that wall. Just feet away from there. Yeah. And and they saw nothing, heard nothing. Interestingly, they didn't see Luke at any point. Or Jody hmm. on that path. So let me let me just let me just walk that back through to make sure I'm clear on this. So there's two guys with a moped that are seen by two different witnesses just after five o'clock or so on the new battle side. They're seen headed down the Ronesdike path towards East houses, uh, which would mean, you know, if Jody's coming, they would be walking towards each other opposite directions. Yeah. Then there's another witness that then, did you say around five 15 sees the moped right at the V brake? But the boys are nowhere around. Yeah. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch -ch 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 -ch
ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Were there any other witnesses that went down the path between then and when Jody's found that said anything about seeing the moped or the moped's now gone or anything like that? No, this this is where it gets incredibly strange. Um, there was a cyclist who reckoned he cycled Roan's Dyke Path from New Battle to East Houses, somewhere between five past five and twenty past five. Mm-hmm. Didn't see the moped. Okay. Didn't didn't see the boys or the moped or Jody or Luke. So so now we've got two different sets of people on the path around about the same time who don't see each other and don't see anybody else. Uh, it's entirely possible that the the cyclist, the time for the cyclist was perhaps manipulated. His evidence on the stand was that he was cycling up the path and he heard a noise on the other side of the wall and it sounded like a strangling sound. That's what he said on the stand. His previous statements were put to him and he actually said there was noise on the other side of the wall like branches moving in a woodland strip, no less, like branches moving. No kidding. So he stopped to listen and it, there was a, a rustling, a rustling sound. Um, and then he carried on and went on his way. And Donald Finley put it to him, how did you get from that to another statement in which you said it sounded like a struggling sound to what you're saying to me? that it's a strangling sound. How did you move from one to the other? And this guy said on the stand, because I was scared, I felt like they were treating me as a suspect. The police. Yeah. So so there's a possibility he ended up agreeing to a time that wasn't correct. And now we have this, as a result, we have this overlap where we know the moped's there at 5.15 mm-hmm. and he's apparently cycling straight past it and doesn't see it. And that window you gave us, is it possible that he, because I think you said 5.05 to 5.20, somewhere around there. So is it possible he had scooted through on his bike ahead of the guys on the moped? Was that Does that timing work? It's possible he turned into the, the path ahead of them. Mm-hmm. But once he got the bike, once he got the moped going, as he, <laughs> excuse me, as he turned into the path, at just five past, they would have overtaken him. He's on a push bike mm-hmm. and they're on a, a motorized vehicle. So, so they would have overtaken him. Do the, I know they said they don't recall, they don't recall, they don't recall. Did they acknowledge or admit the moped boys that they were there with the moped at that time? Yes, but that's a story in its own right as well, because initially they didn't come forward at all. An appeal had been put out for them. They didn't come forward until this appeal went out. And one of them said he knew they were looking for him because his mum called him to say, the police are looking for you. Mm-hmm. So she knew he was on the path on the moped as well. Turns out one of these boys is Jody's cousin. And they took five days to come forward. And when they finally did come forward, they lied. Sorry, they may have been mistaken. No, I'm going to stick with my original. They lied mm-hmm. about the time they were on the path. And they put themselves on the path 45 minutes earlier than they actually were. Now, why would they do that? Nobody knew when the time of death was going to be pinpointed, but they put themselves on the path 45 minutes earlier. And then this one of them, the, the Jody's cousin one, 
tells his gran on the 1st of July that they were on the path that day. And she says, well, you don't need to go to the police because you were there too early. What we now have are several members of Jodie's family and extended family, all of whom knew these boys were on that path, on that moped, that afternoon, very close to the time that Jodie would have been going down there. And not one of them mentioned it to the police. It wasn't until the police put out that appeal five days later that they got any information about these two boys. Hmm. Okay, so that's the moped boys. Were there any other, we have the stocky man that was supposedly following her. We've got the the moped that we know was, I mean, literally right there, somewhere right around the time of the murder. There's no question about that. They did accept that. They absolutely accepted that it was there at that time, on the stand. At 5.15, the moped's there. Yeah. It's amazing the jury didn't see any problems with that. Um, <laughs> so... What were there any other witness sightings that are problematic for the prosecution, or do we move into forensics? Witness sightings, not exactly. The the sighting by the two sisters in law at the new battle end that was claimed to be Luke at quarter to six. There's quite strong evidence that that was a mistaken identity, and it was another known male who admitted to being on that road that, when I say admitted to being on that road that night, he was going for beer. Uh-huh. You know, he was walking up the road for beer. He was known to wear a parka jacket. And he looks, I've got photos of the two of them, Luke and this guy. And if you take the actual features out, their face shape, their hairstyle, their hair color, everything, it's virtually impossible. If you were driving past, there's no way you could tell which one was which. So there's some very strong evidence that that was a mistaken identity, that it was never Luke they saw. Because he says he was there on that road, that this other guy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So let, let's get into the, the forensics. So you mentioned that there was DNA on on the body. There was saliva, semen, blood. Let's 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 work on the, the easier part and, and we'll and we'll get into the more complicated stuff on the body. The condom we talked about last or a couple weeks ago. Uh, it's it's 20 yards away from the body. It was described as having fresh semen in it. Was any DNA analysis? I know that it wasn't Luke's, but did they ever identify whose semen that was? We got a full profile from it at the time, mm-hmm. but there was nobody in the database that matched that profile. Okay. So it took three years for that to be matched um, because the guy ended up getting put through the database three years later. Now, something that is, I think is quite important to, to point out here in terms of the DNA, in between 2002 to 2003, the Scottish database, DNA database, was updating from six marker profiles to 10 marker profiles. Mm-hmm. So, so they, were, they were more in-depth profiles. Okay. So anybody with a DNA profile on the six marker system, by the time of Jodie's murder, would only ever come up on the database as a partial match. Because they would only have a six marker profile in the database. So unless they were willing to give a new sample, there's no way of matching 10 marker samples from the crime scene to any of these people that were still in the six marker system, if that makes sense. I don't know if that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was one of the issues that we had. The, the guy, Mark Kane from the local college, the one that there was evidence that he was the following day had scratches on his face. Oh, we haven't heard that yet. So, 
tell us about this guy. Yeah. All right. So, so he, Scott Forbes went to, was residential at New Battle College with this guy. And they'd broken up for the summer and everybody had gone home, but a group of them had nowhere to go. So they stayed in the college over the summer. This guy turns up at Scott's house the morning after. He's got scratches on his face. He's very agitated. He's got sunglasses on indoors. And Scott becomes really concerned that there's something not right about this guy's behaviour. And the fact that he can't remember what he did the night before. He says he was taking drugs and alcohol and, and he's got no memory. So Scott took him to the police the third day of the investigation and dropped him off. And the guy was told at the desk, yeah, we're really busy. We'll get back to you. And they never, ever came back to him. So Scott Scott took him there because he thought he was connected to this murder? He had concerns. And then the, the police just blew him off? Yeah, yeah. So when this came out, and this it was years later when this finally came out, there was a claim that there was no other evidence to support Scott Forbes's account. That he basically just made it up. And then they threw in a suggestion that it was because he was going to get money from the media for, for making up these claims and, and putting Mark Kane in the frame. And then I got the case papers and there are at least five other witnesses to what Scott Forbes reported. About the scratches on his face and about the scratches on his face, about the agitated behavior. And he's, he's dead now. He died a few years ago, Mark Kane. But there's, there's never, people will say he, he was eliminated. He wasn't, he was never investigated. It's easy to eliminate somebody if you just don't include them in the first place. Right. And then after the trial is over with, that's when they get, they, they match that the, the DNA, the semen in the condom belonged to him. No, that belonged to a guy called James Faulkner. Oh, okay. Sorry. It, it, this quite often gets, gets confused because actually, at the same time as Faulkner's DNA threw up a match in the database, the information about Mark Kane also came out. So by the, by the time it came to appeal, there were now two persons of interest who'd never even been heard of at the time of trial. And they'd both come up at the same time after Luke was convicted. Wow. So we got thing one is Mark Kane is... He's got all these injuries. He's acting agitated. Doesn't remember what he did that that night. And then we find out who the semen in the condom belongs to, uh, and what's his story. He claimed that he went down behind the wall that night to masturbate because he had no privacy at home. So not only I, we know it's his semen from DNA, yeah. But obviously, you can't time DNA other than they said it's fresh. But he says he was there that night. That it was. From that night. It was fresh. Yes. Because he was masturbating. There's an awful lot going on right in the same spot at the same time as a woman getting murdered. There certainly is. Interestingly, Mr. Faulkner also told the police that, remember, this is after the after Luke's been convicted, so he's fairly safe. But he also told the police in the same interview that the following morning after he'd been down in the fresh air that night and he reckoned it was getting grey dark okay now it was daylight till after 10 o'clock the night Jodie was murdered mm -hmm. so it was getting grey dark we're talking about after half past 10 towards 11 o'clock 
and he says he saw nothing. He described where he went, how far he went down behind the wall. And if that's correct, if his description's correct, he would virtually have had to step over Jodie's body on the way down and on the way back. Because she discovered at 11.30. Yeah. So, so this guy's stories are all over the place. Anyway, having, having told the police that story, he then said that when he got up the following morning, he heard that a girl had been murdered down there. Um, and there was a, a helicopter and there was police everywhere and there was police tape everywhere. So he went out the back of his garden onto the wasteland that leads to the same path as Moped Boy, incidentally. Again, they're not the same two people, but they live within doors of each other. This guy goes out, gets behind a tree and does the same thing again. And the police go, yeah, okay, thanks for that. Off you go. So just to be clear, we have the, the police have a... Woman stripped nude and brutally murdered. A condom found 20 yards from her body. The DNA matches to this guy. He admits he was there that night. Describes where he would have had to have stepped on her to have been there. And they, that's of no interest to them. Nope. And uh, if what I've read is correct, that's not all. That there's some more DNA on Jody's body or clothes or both. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. A new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Until 2020, we knew of a full DNA profile on Jodie's T-shirt from her sister's boyfriend. This was explained away as initially washing machine, washing machine transfer and then later as rainwater transfer. Jodie's sister's boyfriend, Jodie and her sister didn't live in the same house. This is the, the first thing that's really important. Mm -hmm. Her sister lived with her gran, Jodie lived with her mum. 
The sister's boyfriend didn't live in the grand's house and the grand insisted she did not do his laundry. But we have this claim that this male DNA from bodily fluids gets onto this t-shirt belonging to Jodie's sister that Jodie then borrowed. And that's how she came to be wearing a t-shirt with his DNA on it that night. There's no evidence that Jodie borrowed that t-shirt from her sister, from her grand's house. Nothing. That's the story that the prosecution ran with. And the the prosecution also inadvertently um, implicated the sister's boyfriend in other semen deposits on the T-shirt because they said potentially they got there by rainwater transfer. Well, the, the implication then is that they came from the one stain that was fully identified and were dissipated by rainwater into smaller, weaker samples elsewhere on the T-shirt. Where they were going with that one, I have no idea. Were they, did they confirm that the that what they got that profile from was semen? Or just that they had swabbed and there was, it was there? Were they ever able to identify that it came from a fluid? Yeah, it was, um, it tested what they, what they refer to as AP positive, which indicates the presence of semen. On the shirt. Yeah. There was a claim that Luke's DNA was found on Jodie's bra. And that was a piece of incredible trickery. So the the sample on the bra was a mixed sample, which the scientists said originated from at least three different males. And some of the bits in that mixed sample matched some of the bits in Luke's profile. So they tried to claim at trial that that was Luke's DNA and the prosecution took them apart, absolutely took them apart and said, you cannot claim from bits picked out of a mixed profile that that DNA belongs to anybody. You cannot do that scientifically. So to check it out, I had the the DNA results and I looked at the, the result from that sample. And I went through, what they said at at trial was uh, Luke Mitchell could not be eliminated as a contributor, which is technically true, but it actually means nothing. It doesn't mean he was a contributor. So what I did was I got the DNA samples and I, I compared them, males known to the investigation, I compared them against this mixed partial profile that came from the bra. If they'd been honest, they would have said on the stand, The senior investigating officer in this case cannot be eliminated as a contributor to this sample. That is literally how meaningless it was. Because his had just as much of a match as Luke did. Yeah. So now let me just, so we have the semen in the condom from a guy that says that he deposited that there that very night. We've got the moped parked right on, right next to feet away from where her body was found. And then we have semen on her T-shirt that was matched to her sister's boyfriend who didn't live with her sister, who didn't live with her. Yeah. Is that at least all? <laughs> <laughs> the, the borrowed T-shirt theory was handed to the sister's boyfriend by the police. They went to him and said, is it possible the T-shirt Jody was wearing that night 
was borrowed from her sister. Why did they ask her boyfriend? Why did they not ask the sister first? But that's in order to prevent events. They asked him first and then they asked the sister. Was he, so I'm assuming the answer is no, but was he ever questioned as a suspect about his whereabouts or anything? Never. Wow. Never. He actually didn't have an alibi, um, a proper alibi for about the first 11 days of the investigation. So initially he said he was with Janine in the morning and then he went back to his dad's house. He lived with his dad and then Janine came down later and they went back up to the grand's house about seven o'clock. So he didn't have an alibi in that statement. A later statement, he said he and Janine walked down to his dad's for dinner about 4.30, but there was nothing to corroborate that either. And then eventually, eventually, the dad gave a statement 11 days in, in which he remembered the most incredible details about what they ate for dinner and they each ate different things and he had to go to this shop to get particular things. Now remember, Luke's brother was crucified for that one change of that was the night he burnt the pies. And this guy, 11 days later, is having all these, you know, detailed memories about who came for dinner and when they came for dinner and what they ate. And that gives the sister's boyfriend his alibi. So some of the, I mean, without casting, you know, accusations at anybody, I, I think it's, it's fair to say that we, what we do have is Jody's family change their stories over and over and over again. Yeah. The moped boys, one of them was Jody's cousin. Was that the same cousin that was listed in kind of the timeline of uh, when Judith was calling, looking for Jody? Because there, there was a cousin that had just watched the news or something that night when she Yes. Called. Same cousin. Yes. Okay. And then her sister's boyfriend, his semen is found on Jody's clothing. You mentioned something about saliva too. Was there was there other DNA profiles that were found on the body? To this day, the saliva stains have never been identified. Jody's body was covered in what the what the um registered as short, colorless hairs. We don't even know if they're animal or human. That's how little has been done with them. There's there's a huge list of items that are simply labeled no result, no result, no result, no result, no result. We don't even we don't even really know until until last year, we didn't even really know if they were significant or not, because they they were listed in such a way that it was impossible to tell mm-hmm. if they might be important or not. But when we discovered that the police were destroying the evidence in November last year, they knew we were going for another appeal mm-hmm. and they just started very quietly getting rid of the evidence uh, four years before they're legally allowed to do it in this country. And definitely they are not allowed to do it if they know there's an appeal coming up, but they did it anyway, secretly. We caught them red-handed in the act. By the time we caught them, there were only approximately 300 forensic samples left. Everything else was gone. And when we got the list of those forensic samples, we discovered a file that was listed forensics not on main inventory. That means they were not disclosed. Wow. And is I assume that is that going to be part of 
well, we'll get into the, the appeals stuff uh, in, in just a moment. Just real quick, the, the, the saliva you mentioned, where was the saliva found? There was saliva on her T-shirt in a number of places, on her hoodie, and on her trousers. Did they, was that tested enough to at least get a profile off of those and not identified, or was it never even tested? They, they all came back, no reportable result, as did nearly all the sperm and semen deposits. Wow. Okay, so with all of that being said, it's, it's, it seems to me like this is a, I mean, the prosecution's case was incredibly weak to begin with. There's certainly a lot of other paths of investigation. Uh, as far as Luke himself, he's, he, what is his actual sentence? Because somebody brought that up. Um, someone said he thought he was sentenced to 20 years. I thought he was sentenced to longer than that, but he would be eligible for parole in 20 years. He was sentenced without limit of time. Okay. Which is forever. Mm -hmm. a, a minimum period of 20 years, but a maximum period of the rest of his life without limit of time. So the only way he would get out would be through parole? Yes. And the only way he'll get parole is if he addresses his offending behavior. Well, how does he do that if he doesn't accept that he has any offending behavior to address? Right. So. Where are things now? You said you're working on an appeal now. What's what's going to happen next with Luke's case? Well, the first thing we need to do is get those samples that are left. Mm -hmm. That's that's critical. Once the police, when we said we wanted them, the police said, "Well, we're not we're not going to give you them to let you test them. We'll tell you what you can have. They'll be tested in our labs to our standards with our oversight." So we went, got our own uh, forensic experts, and they said, no, <laughs> that's that's not the way this, that, that's done, and it's certainly not the way it's happening. Mm -hmm. We want the samples released for independent testing. Mm -hmm. So just give the samples to our scientists. They will take them off to independent labs, and they'll test them. And then there's no question of us trying to influence the results, and there's certainly no question of the police having any control over how these tests are done or what equipment used or, or whatever. So that's been argued back and forward now. Gosh, it's coming up a year. Because it was it was November last year that we discovered that that they were destroying the evidence. So yeah, coming up a year. We are I have to be a bit careful about how much I say here, but we are closer to applying for those samples and having them released mm -hmm. than we have been previously from that point. And I have been asked, and I will make this absolutely clear, I have been asked if those samples are tested and it comes back and identifies Luke, what then? And my answer to that is, so be it. This is not about an individual as such. This is about the truth. It's the truth about what happened to Jodie, and it's about justice being done properly. I wouldn't regret one day of the work I've done, because if we allow investigations that poor to result in lifelong convictions, then 
We're not pursuing justice. We're not. We're pursuing convictions. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production. All music for the show is created and composed by Shane Yoder at PutThemInASong.com. The font you see on all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com Design Created manages and maintains our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our volunteer transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Courtney Wimberly, Erica Cantor, Melissa Cardenas, Kaywood Yomnik, and Danielle Rohr. And as always, thank you to all of you for your engagement and your support. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. The number one way for you to support our work is to become a patron at patreon.com slash truthandjustice. If you join our Patreon, not only will you be financially supporting our work, but you'll also get something for your pledge. For just $5 per month, you'll get all episodes ad-free and also a video version of the Friday follow-ups that include an hour-long pre-show chat exclusive to our patrons. Other levels will get you a Truth and Justice Army t-shirt, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host a Friday follow-up episode. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice to sign up. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review doesn't cost you a penny and it goes a long way towards making the show more visible if you have a case that you'd like us to consider covering you can submit your cases on our website truthandjusticepod.com just click on the case submission button and fill out the form and the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations you can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com you can like our facebook page follow us on instagram or join in on the conversation on the truth and justice podcast fans page for all of you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod, and I can be found on social media at BobRuffTruth. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch, but as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM.